0: This week on The Guardian Audio Edition. From the Arab Spring to Global Revolution, where the protest movement is here to stay. The love of the chase. Are we hardwired to love running? And in our audiobook review, we look at dystopian science fiction from Hugh Howey in Wool and explore Charles Arthur's view of real world technology in Digital Wars. To subscribe for free to the Guardian Audio Edition, go to audible.co.uk forward slash Guardian or find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. The Guardian Audio Edition A new way to get the whole
1: picture.
2: The Guardian
3: Hello, this is Music Weekly, I'm Alexis Petridis And I'm Kieran Yates This week, yes it's here, the glam special I've been up to Liverpool in my platform heels To indulge in Tate Liverpool's new glam exhibition Jeremy Della and Robin Turner are joining us And in Singles Club we've got tracks from Jeremy Greenspan, James Blake and East India Youth
2: All here on Music Weekly from The Guardian Um so our guest this week
3: is have you got your mobile switched off? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was just gonna do some
4: crib notes there.
3: So, so our, our guest in the studio this week is uh is Robin Turner, a uh, writer. Um uh, how would you describe yourself? Uh
4: well I used to describe myself as the office bears when I worked at Heavenly, but um <laughs> that now I don't work there, it's like um
3: but you know, writer, you're a writer, you're a, yeah, you're an artist. Writer
4: you're a... used to work at used to work at Heavenly Records for uh well. The, a long time and started a club called the social many years ago open a bar called the social and I write wrote yeah. There you go.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, so, what's been going on this week? Craftwork live. You Kraft went to Craftwork live. live. I've seen Craftwork live as well.
4: I went probably in a slightly different state of mind to you. Which <laughs> you went probably you went reverentially on the first night. I went eight pints in on the fifth night.
3: No. <laughs> 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 give me a uh, terrible thing happened actually. The uh, I've never seen anything in three D ever in my life, mm. and it gave me a migraine. I Does really went out of there, yeah, yeah. It made me feel really unwell, oh um, which is terrible, because obviously you took the glasses off and it's all out of focus. So we would have given you a <new> microphone <laughs> anyway. And then you put them on, it's like, oh, this is great. Ah! You know, so, um, so yeah, but you you, you were, were drunk and you enjoyed it. Yeah, it's fantastic.
4: I wasn't quite as drunk as the people in front of me who I think had turned up to a sort of Megadog gig in 1994, <laughs> and to the point where one of them actually got on stage. to a bemused Ralph Hutter and... Um, did a sort of jig and then because there's no security there because mm. why do you need security at a craft working? who's going to get on stage <sighs> uh, she sort of climbed down really sort of meekly oh no oh yeah yeah. Because yeah. no, no, it's not like not like Morrissey and some bloke some sort of um, some, some sort of WWF guy comes and bowls you over he's <laughs> <laughs> just like alright I'm here now oh good yeah she wasn't in 3D though weirdly <laughs> <laughs> um, you're going aren't you I'm
2: going on Thursday yes for Tour de France excellent wow. I'm, I'm really excited Excited by it because I'm not well. I wouldn't identify myself as a huge craftwork fan or someone that kind of knows their discography inside and out. I mean, I know that the, I know their influence, but I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going from sort of quite an outside perspective. So I'm excited.
4: I think the the everything seeped so far into you know into popular culture and stuff. It's even going you know if you went without great knowledge of it, everything's there. You're like, oh, right, oh, this one. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. constant.
3: Even without being told you'd catch a lot of echoes of, you know, the house musical. Or- and also, because it's the slightly spiffed up la- yeah. latter-day versions, that's mm-hmm. kind of amped
4: up a I little did have bit. A, I did have a thought about it, a, a drunk thought on the way home on the bus. And I wondered whether there's people out there who view it in the same way that when George Lucas tinkers with Star Wars. Mm. And you think, are there people there who would have paid, you know... Decent money to go to those gigs. Who actually want to hear those albums as they were made, yeah. rather than, mm. you know, Autobahn sliced in half, mm. Computer Love with a hefty kick drum There's underneath. There's a lot of it. hefty kick drums, isn't there? Yeah, that? I mean, it's, All not, of it's it. not.
3: It's not a criticism, and that you know, I mean, I guess no. that's what Kraftwerk do now in lieu of making new material. Is they kind of tinker with their old material endlessly. I don't know. I mean, the show I saw, which was Autobahn. I wouldn't claim to be an expert on the second side of Autobahn. Who who is who spends that much time listening to the side of Autobahn? But they did seem to zip through it in about ten minutes. I mean, it was it was pretty quick. Same with Computer World. Yeah, is they did because I, I mean they did almost all of Computer World and I saw them yeah. as well. But this is none of this is a criticism. What I, was
2: the what was the audience mix with New Because I read in Time Out when they were doing vox pops the other day that. One of the girls was a 12-year-old student, and she was like, I thought they were very good.
3: Uh, I didn't see any 12-year-old students. That. A friend of mine... Um, <laughs> did see a few people taking their kids, actually. Which really? Was a, really? It's probably quite a good thing for a kid to see. It's really yeah. usually kind of stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as, a, as, a, as someone I was talking to there I went... Uh, Gentlemen, went, you wouldn't come here to pull, would you? <laughs> it was the, the, the sort of gender oh, really? mix. The gender, certainly on the night I went, the gender bias was very heavily skewed in favour of the right. of, of And, with and the, the
4: age bias was very, very
3: heavily skewed. Yeah, I I, I... I felt um, young. i you <laughs> know 42. Obviously the most important news since the last time I've had a haircut... And uh, my haircut reveals my slightly receding hairline. I've given up trying to pretend. And that was the day before I went to see Crafter. I thought, God, you know, I'm going out, and you can see that I'm sort of going bald. Obviously, I arrive at this, uh, you know, Crafter gig, and I'm quite the sort of Hesuit Leonine kind of groover <laughs> <laughs> compared to everybody else that's there, you know. But, th- uh, I th- the one thing that I've
4: seen them a couple of times now, and I've picked up on it both times, it's a beautiful thing when you go to see them, because when you go into the room, they never have any music before, And the the last time I saw them was more noticeable because it was Brixton Academy and it was a late night. They were on at midnight so the doors opened at half ten. They'd they'd done an early show. And so for an hour and a half before they came on you just had silence and so people's voices start off quiet and then they get louder and louder and louder (laughs) and louder until the first note you hear at that gig was the first note of Man Machine. And it's... It's an amazing arrogance that says that no other music should go before us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's also so brilliant. Yeah. It sets the tone so fantastically because, you know, it's 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 even more of a shock. It's not like you've had some idiot there playing some sort of crappy B sides of whatever they picked up in black market last week. <laughs> it's it's pure. It's absolutely pure. And it's, uh, I know more bands who do that. I think no, support, yeah, I, l- no I music. like. The-
2: The kind of audacity of kind of doing a huge show like that and then I think because of this loftiness that's attached with uh, someone like Kraftwerk where they're very much, I don't know, considered the fathers of modern dance music and then to do a show at the Tate and then do this in 3D and have something that is so spectacular and is so kind of theatrical kind of fits quite well and I think that, that yeah there should be more of that because, well, and, yeah. it,
4: and you can't when, you, when you're noticing it you, just, you start you know your mind starts to wander and you start thinking could anyone else do that Cause mm-hmm. is there anyone else musically who you know who else occupies that space that can just go you know, there is no bit, other music but our it, own yeah. mm-hmm. exactly Mumford Swain <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, the final point uh, about Kraftwerk who's the guy on the end I know obviously I know who Ralph Hutter is I know little Fritz he's been there for a while another guy who I've seen before but I couldn't I couldn't give you his name bloke on the end as far as I gathered could have just popped out for, for 20 Rothmans in the Daily Mirror Where <laughs> as that? a result of kind of a, a peculiar series of misunderstandings ended up on stage in a Spider-Man suit with Kraftwerk <laughs> fathers for justice <laughs>
4: <laughs> if somebody hasn't climbed up Battersea Power Station dressed as like looking some protest about them.
3: some DJ, some techno DJ that's had a very bitter divorce. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, um, the other news of the week is that the Liverpool Tate take liverpool has opened its its glam rock exhibition uh, which is a remarkable thing it's a large very very long exploration of the the times and the spirit of glam rock Um, well worth checking out if you're in liverpool uh, or nearby i went up there last week and talked to the curator darren p
2: there's a new sensation a fabulous creation a danceable solution
3: Just the first, I suppose, most
1: obvious question is why? Why do this exhibition, and why do it now? The thing about about kind of glam is that um, I have this, uh, this sort of sense that um, this supposition that the '70s that the only meaningful. Pop cultural movement of the 70s was punk I think was incorrect I think kind of glam actually in a way it sort of touched more people. It was more meaningful to more people than punk, which I think was, was actually quite, quite exclusive and quite extreme No, in order to be a punk, you had to sort of wear like a bin bag you know or put or put like a safety pin for your nose. but I think glam was um, really it was, it was really the first sort of meaningful thing after the '60s um, and it was kind of British culture. Uh, stepping up a gear, I think. You know, it was that idea of, um, you know, this idea of uh, I think around this time was when colour television really kicked in in quite a big way. The economy was collapsing. You know, society was kind of sorry, you, know, was, you know, was was in was in quite a bad way. And the country was drifting politically to the right, and against this backdrop, something like kind mean, glam came rocking, you know, this idea of a uh, this kind of Ziggy Stardust, this idea of this uh, this fictional spaceman, this androgynous figure, and it just must have seemed absolutely extraordinary. And I think, in a way, that's why it's so it's still meaningful. I mean, glam never really went away. It's mm. something that seems to completely inform the popular imagination, and I think it didn't just emerge from nowhere. I mean, it exploded in '71, um, but actually there, there was that there was a really important kind of backstory really about the art school culture of the 1960s, this culture of convergence. Now, this, was a, I mean, this was a time when there were more art schools per capita in the UK than in any other country like in the world. For the first time working class really were able to go to university and if you were talented, if you were creative, Art school was a place where you could meet like-minded people. It was a time to rehearse, to experiment with style, to, you know, if you're a musician, fine artist. All these realms really came together, actually, you know, sort of rock music, fashion, fine art in the 60s. And it created things like Roxy Music, you know, who are really the ultimate art rock kind of, kind of group, you know. Mm. They were really, I mean, an amazing thing to emerge of a completely, you know, this completely sophisticated sort of clash of styles. Americana, matinee idols, Hollywood, but also um, the future. They were also seem to be, like, from space somehow, mm-hmm. you know.
3: Like- what you're basically saying is that the rock bands, the designers, the, the fashion designers and the sort of visual artists were all coming out of essentially the same place. I think so. Point, yeah.
1: I think so. I mean, I think there's a time, I think when hierarchies were being sort of questioned, really. I mean, I think it's a, it must have been like an astonishing time. I mean, this, this idea of, um, you know, to be working class. I mean, kind of Brian Ferry is somebody, you know, his, his father was a coal miner. Mm. I mean, no, you know, he went to art school and he completely reinvented himself, really. You know, this idea of, um, you know, this sort of this creation of a new identity mm. from scratch. You know, I mean, it's, it's something that really, you know, that, that, that emerged really with kind of glam, right? You
3: know? Yeah, it's the ultimate sort of expression of that notion of pop music as a kind of theatre of dreams, in which, you know, as you say, a coal miner's son from from Newcastle becomes this amazing figure, or Reg Dwight becomes Elton John. Yeah. actually Not even Elton John, you know, Reg Dwight becomes Captain Fantastic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, David Jones becomes Ziggy Stardust, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point.
1: This. Fantastic installation by an artist called Mark Camille Shamovich. This is from 72. It's like really created the height of glam rock. Wow. It's a work entitled Celebration Real Life. And it was first shown in Birmingham at the Icon Gallery in 72. Then it was shortly after that at Siggy Krause's uh, gallery house in London. It's, it's an installation of miracles, of theatre lighting, strobe lighting. There's, uh, the object, there's sort of strewn objects all over the floor, like fresh flowers, sort of bric brac, lighted candles. glitter strewn all over the floor. Mm. It's a highly sort of choreographed space. Um, You know, the artist sort of came to Liverpool. He installed everything is absolutely meticulously installed, and every surface is just you know completely seductive and sensual and you know really pleasurable to, to to look at, and it really transforms the art gallery into a kind of a stage set. And the work is really, in a way, it's a kind of requiem for the 60s. It's like, it look, I mean, to me, it's like the residue of the best party in the yeah, world. It looks, like, it looks like the end of, the the of a party, 60s. yeah. The end of right. utopian ideals, but it's also the beginning of the 70s. Mm. I mean, this is 72. And also, as you can hear also, um, the soundtrack, um, which is sort of like, which, which really like, amplifies um, the whole installation. We've got Bowie playing, Stones playing, The Velvet Underground. And also the walls are completely painted silver. I mean, right. it's, completely, it's a completely reflective surface, and it's a, a really amazing, spectacular installation.
3: Mm. Well, that's incredible. I've never seen, I didn't know anything about this, that this was the kind of sort of correlation of glam rock that was happening in an art gallery in 1972. It's absolutely amazing.
1: So, okay. Glam, although it was a sort of, sort of social phenomena in the UK, there were also sort of roots of glam in North America, I mean, mm. places like... Detroit, uh, sort of, which is really the birthplace of, of of like the Stooges mm. and of the MC5, Iggy Pop, and also like artists like Mike Kelly, you know, who's a very sort of, important American artist, and Jim Shaw. And here we see them, you know, they they, they, oh, they formed the group in the seventies called. Destroy all monsters, mm-hmm. and they were like a, like this art rock group who we were completely sort of informed by the graphic, you know, by, by the whole work of Jack Smith, sort of camp, right, right, and George right, right, right. but they were very much very much like an art rock group, but also you know their members included a member of The Stooges, I mean, yeah, it was yeah, completely, yeah, Ashton, yeah. yeah, yeah. And And here's the um, Velvet Underground. And the Velvet Underground. Of course, I mean, the thing about about the Velvet Underground is that they're sort of, um, in a way, they were the first art rock group, and they were a group that Warhol produced uh, the first LP. He designed the sleeve art... And their sort of sense of, um, you know, this, sort of, this idea of the exploding plastic in, in inevitable, this idea of a total theatre performance, where it was a complete sort of light show, strobe lights so with, like, somebody cracking a whip on stage. Mm. And, and the entire look, this idea of, of a camp, a real sort of camp, nihilist, sort of a decadent aesthetic, mm. really, really that came from Kenneth Anger, and you know, the yeah. whole sort of clever boy look, I think was sort of massively influential for, for Roxy Music and for David... Bowie as well mm. and here we see Bowie in fact, at, at the factory in 71 oh really this is,
3: this is footage of it because Warhol wasn't terribly enamoured I believe he played them the song Andy Warhol and Warhol took it home as offence. he
1: wasn't so impressed I was feeling, and what you see here actually is, uh, is David Bowie speaking to Glenn O'Brien he was an editor of interview magazine right, mm. for the 70s and actually he's also written a text uh, for the catalogue mm. um, and apparently, Glenn was saying that uh, Warhol—he had no idea whose guy he was. He thought, <laughs> "Yeah, well, who was he? Should we let him up?" Mm-hmm. And Glenn and Brown said, "Actually, he's pretty good. His LP, *Hunky Dory*, is actually a really, really great record, and you should meet him." And he came up, and yeah, I mean, the conversation between Warhol and Bowie is pretty stilted. And then, <laughs> but what 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 they start talking about is shoes, actually, because. Bowie remembers that Warhol used to be a commercial artist mm. when he first... We can see, actually, it's some... His drawings of shoes, drawing shoes, yeah. As was Bowie, in fact, when he first... no, prior to becoming also a rock star, he was a graphic artist, so they began talking about, about shoes, and that was the basis of their conversation, <laughs> <laughs> I
3: suppose if you're going to have a conversation, if you view this as kind of the start of British glam rock, it may as well be a conversation about shoes Why with not? a pop artist. The ultimate
1: know? glam, one of the real like, emblems of, of glam rock was a shoe.
3: Let me put my arms around your head, gee, it's hot,
0: let's
2: go to bed. Don't forget to turn on the light, don't laugh, babe, it'll be all right. Pour me out another phone, I'll ring and see if your friends are home.
3: What you've got here is also the, the sort of it covers the New York glam scene, which is an yeah. intriguing thing because if it, glam is a sort of is a mass phenomenon in Britain as you say, it's a huge yeah. commercial, you know, it's probably the, the defining commercial phenomenon of the early seventies. Yeah. And in America, it isn't. It's a much more you, these bills we've got here. There's a selection of uh, bills for New York gigs. Are this is pretty low rent stuff, you know, for it's the magic funky. tramps and the harlots of, of 47th funky, yeah, Avenue yeah. Yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I
1: mean, it wasn't. i, have to say, I mean, it's pretty well wondering that uh, glam wasn't popular mm. c- commercially in America. In the 70s, and that is probably reflected really in the graphics, you know, mm. you know, which is it's sort of hand, it's kind of photocopied handbills, but I think. The, the subculture of New York, you know, this is this, this um, being centered on places like Max's Kansas City, which is where Warhol and many of our artists used to sort of hang out. It was sort of like it was like an artist artist's bar, but it was also where the New York Dolls played, where Iggy and the Stooges played, you know. And it was here we see um, Wayne County, Iggy mm. pop at Max's Kansas City, like Andrew Feldman who's a Warhol superstar outside Max's Kansas City. So I think there was certainly a scene, particularly in New York, and I think this is what really what created things like Lou Reed. Really, I think mm. you know whole sort of culture of uh, that kind of street culture, street hassle you know, mm-hmm. kind of transvestites Yeah, yeah, absolutely you know. You know. I'm
4: waiting for my man $26 in my hand Up to Lexington 125 feel sick and dirty
1: Also, I think our Contemporary sort of life now, I think, does feel like somehow a revisiting of things that were happening in the 70s. I think, I mean, there is, it does seem to be a real resurgence of critical interest in the 70s, mm. and I think it's because I know it's economically the country, you know, it's, it, it, we are in recession, mm. and um, you know, it's not a, it's not, it's a, you know, the sense in which um, the economy was was strong, it's booming, and there's a time of confidence, a time of a, uh, of, of, of confidence, and now it's a time of like we have to sort of like, you know. Spend less, um, and the country, I suppose, is also countries also move slightly t- to the right, I guess.
2: Brilliant,
3: thank you so much. Okay.
2: That was Alexa Stomping Around in Liverpool. Glam, the performance of Style is at Tate Liverpool until the twelfth of May.
3: Okay, just to prove that we're still vaguely paying attention to some contemporary music, let's turn to singles club. Robin, our esteemed guest, let's start with your track. Drums and Drums and Drums uh, by Jeremy Greenspan. Um, Robin, that's your choice? Yeah, it is. Tell us about the track, tell us about Jeremy Greenspan. uh, Greenspan, I beg your pardon. Well, as somebody who's kind of uh,
4: old enough to know better, I kind of try and avoid going out to clubs and things anymore and making a fool of myself on the dance floor, but I think that's probably the first record in quite a long time that I've listened to and thought... ah. I wish I was ten years younger, and <laughs> <laughs> which, which I was slightly more spry. But um, <laughs> Jeremy Greenspan is one half of Junior Boys, Okay. who, without being offensive, I always think Ramandu was like the idea of more than I actually like yeah. the practice of. I, I kind of, they don't sound like that though. They're not. They're more song based. Whereas that, that's a version of of a piece by described here pioneer and computer musician Laurie Spiegel. I've never heard of Laurie Spiegel. After no, it's it's it's. And it's on, I'm pretty sure it's on um, Daphne's label, Caribou's label. Okay. And I think there's quite a lot of music coming out of that kind of camp at the moment, which is kind of dance music how I sort of used to like to remember Dance, it. dance music how it used to be, as yeah, Paul exactly. would say. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: and I believe he's doing it in panto somewhere this year. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just kind of music that, I know you listen to it on headphones and it sounds like your brain's being kettled. Mm. It's kind of, it's that sort of throbbing pulsing yeah kind of got me going no the Daphne the
3: the Daphne album is a good case in point because I put that one in the car while I was delivering my my daughters to their grandmas for the weekend and it was like nine o'clock on a Saturday morning I had to turn it off because it was completely you know it's it's 4am sort of in front of the big speakers music as is that you would sort of like to hear it in some kind of altered state I think in the in the small hours of the morning Kieran
2: uh yeah I really liked it I think that because of listening to so much craft work this week, I think I've been using that as a reference point. And actually, it didn't sound too far removed in terms of crossing that line between sounding quite European, but also sounding quite world music y, uh, kind of with that overlayering of drums. And I heard the original as well by Lucy Spiegel, Spiegel, which was a lot more hollow sounding. Like, I like the way that this kind of expanded and flexed, you know, throughout mm. as you were listening to it. Yeah, it had lots of other things going to it. It didn't feel like just you were hearing looped layers of drums. Mm. But, yeah. So this is like a re-edit, is it? Or I think so, yeah. I think. I'm...
4: I don't know, you know, I don't know how they work it these days. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> <laughs> Everything's up for grabs, yeah, it isn't just, it?
2: It feels like it's been sort of injected in more steroids or something. Yeah. The original, you know what well, I mean? It's... But, it's, yeah, it's good. I liked it. I could definitely dance to this, it's, you know.
4: It, you know, Junior Boys are, I, th- I think, uh, one of the, the reasons I'm... N- n- not the, probably not the biggest fan. Is it sounds quite weedy. Sorry. And if you listen to sort of Caribou records, which I absolutely love, they're not. They're quite a, a thought out form of dance music. Mm. You know, it's very intelligent. Yeah. In that, you know, in the in, in the good way. Mm. Whereas the records they're making as their, you know, in their offshoot things are definitely you know more thick <laughs> which is which is, al- which is always what i look which is what i look for in at uh, which is what i look for at 3 in the morning yeah no, then no, definitely <laughs> well if you're
3: into a bit of thick dance music um, drums and drums and drums by jeremy greenspan is around about now let's move on to Kieran's choice
0: so show me why you're strong
3: ignore everybody else we're loving our own away
1: so
0: show me why you're strong. Ignore everybody else. We're alone now. Suddenly I'm hit. It's this darkness of the dawn.
3: And your friends are gone. Cheer up, love. Um, that's uh, James Blake, uh, king of blubstep, as I believe we 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 are obliged to call him. Um, back, back, back with yeah. a track called Retrograde. This is the first track from his second album.
2: Yes, Overgrown.
3: Overgrown. Um, interesting, more commercial. Yeah. I think, than anything, audibly more commercial than anything on his on his debut album.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think that uh, James Blake does tension and restraint right. really, really well. Probably kind of a lot better than a lot of people, a lot of his peers in Electronica have tried to do it. And I think that that's the reason why it worked really well when he first came out doing the CMYK remixes, where he was kind of doing these R&B chopped and screwed takes on people like Khalees and Aaliyah. Uh, and it was really stripped back and it sounded really interesting. And then, of course, he did stuff with Grime MC Trim. Uh, most recently released was uh, Confidence Boost, and they're known as Trimble, which is the things, the stuff that they did together. And that worked really well because... James is very good at kind of slowing everything down and really picking out all the kind of nuances that are really interesting about this kind of production. I think he does it here as well, but in a lot more commercial way, like mm. you say. He still has that kind of falsetto, whimpering, kind of weedy boy thing, but I think it works quite well on this, and it uh, it doesn't feel like... It's it's really divorced. Whereas I found like with his last album, I did really like it as a body of work, but I just found it quite hard work. Mm. You know, I found mm. like just like you know enough. there were you know there were really good covers on there and there were really good songs in there, but despite that, I just found like it's incredibly almost painfully slow moving. Whereas this this is slow moving in a different way. I feel like it, it's it's got, got a bit of pep. Else. Have you
3: heard uh, uh, any of the rest of the record? No.
2: no. Someone send it to me, please. I mostly. would. I,
3: I hope. I was reading a review, a live review of him playing in Williamsburg, mm-hmm. uh, that was in Mojo magazine. And apparently, one of his new songs is called We're All Going Down the Pub, Um, (laughs) which I sincerely hope isn't just a working title. And there is a track on the new James Blake album called We're All Going Down the Pub. Um, I thought it was good. I think he's got a good voice, James Blake. And it's nice to hear it in slightly. Less overwrought mode, maybe, mm-hmm. than on on some stuff in his debut album. But I think this debut album is a really good record. I think. Uh,
4: the thing I thought is is it, uh, <coughs> most amazing that we're saying that that's a more commercial record. And that sounds like Arthur Russell. Mm. It's like the idea of Arthur Absolutely. Russell actually being a more commercial move. for <laughs>
3: <'cause> somebody. <laughs> is, he sort of makes you wonder what... You know, uh, it was quite a bold signing, I always thought, for a major label. Yeah. I heard the album. Cause yeah. I heard the Limits Your Love and thought, well, okay... You know, maybe it's sort of singer songwriter coming but I thought it, perhaps the album would sound more like what Jamie Woon's album ended yeah. up sounding like. And then you put the album on, it's like this is off mm. its nuts. I mean it's you know, I mean it, obviously it's not off its nuts before somebody Writes in on the in the comments section, mm-hmm. like, it's not as off its nuts as The Seer by Swans. I know, <laughs> fucking swans. Um, but
2: even that, it was built you know, it was, there was Limit Your Love, and then of course, there's the Joni Mitchell mm. cover, so it was kind of built as if it was going to be these interesting mm. covers. And then actually, when you got to hear it, it was like, Whoa, actually, it's it's not that easy to kind of lend yourself to it, actually.
3: Mm. I'm interested... I mean, so in, in a way, I'm kind of intrigued as releasing a second album on mm. a major label. I thought they would... Because it was big money, wasn't it, the first I, album? I think, I think
4: a lot of money was and probably chucked so at it. T- you know, yeah, I um, can't imagine it would have paid back. No. Like this, thus speaks the person who used to work at a record company and is obsessed with... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, mm, the packaging deduction on the... <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't... You know, it's... Um,
2: I think that he is very good at referencing kind of club culture and things that are going on uh, sort of around him Mm. very well. He he kind of understood that kind of tweaking R&B stuff. He understood, you know, the importance of grime. He understood how to use dubstep. He understood things that are really happening at the time. So what I would really like to see in this album, I guess, is him using the way in which those kind of sounds that you hear in the club, those kind of electronic sounds have developed and what he does with them.
3: Cool. Well, um, Retrograde by James Blake. I, I'm sick of saying it, I say this after every record now. It's around about the does have internet. a release date. Whoa!
2: <laughs> April the 8th.
3: April the 8th. Okay, so, so <laughs> it's, it's up front. Finally, let's move on to my choice. That's Looking for Someone by East India Youth uh, from his debut EP, which is coming out uh, shortly. Uh, East India Youth is the first signing to the Quietus uh, website, you may know. Um, I started a record label, and this is the first signing. He is a solo artiste, and there's an EP that I heard, which is sort of appealingly mental, really. It, it, it doesn't really settle on one thing. It keeps there's four or five tracks, and it. it keeps leaping about all over the place, sort of... You know, you think you've got it pegged as a kind of singer songwritery thing, and then it goes off and it's sort of weird electronica, and then it does this that. It, everything just seems to move about a lot in quite an appealing way, and it's coherent as well, which is a good thing. I've been listening to the Palmer Violets uh, album this week, and. Uh, they have a lot of songs that have a lot of bits in them that don't feel particularly coherent, and it feels like a band who don't really know what they're doing yet, sort of chucking ideas at the wall in, in the hope that some of them stick. But you know, as, uh, that's
2: uh, such a good description of Armored You think? Yeah, you know, that's
3: what they. Uh, um, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um,
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> but um, I think you know, eclecticism in music is something to be uh, applauded, and uh, this is an EP that sort of provides quite a wide spread of different sounds and styles, and gets it right. I would be intrigued to see them live. Um, the,
4: the interesting thing with that as well, I think, is the rec- record sounds great, but um, was that Luke and John, who run the Quietus, who, top chaps, both of them, they heard that record and I don't think anyone was putting it out. So they started the label just to put the record out. Okay. And you think they're people who, you know, I know run a website on a shoestring and stuff, oh. and you think then the idea of starting a record label when, you know, how, how do you sell <laughs> records in when tw- tw- you know, but b- that was how much they wanted to do that. And I like, and, you know, that that made me. I made me feel positive about the future of the industry.
3: No, 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 actually... no, there's something great about people. The, the, the notion that people will still do that in the current in the current climate.
2: Also, what I like about the quietest guys is that you really get this sense of being really passionate about what they do. I think John Doran, he who is who's a really funny guy, really funny writer, was kind of wrote something when it, kind of went alongside this that said something along the lines of, you know, I always thought that I'd rather cut my head off with my own toenail clippers or something before I ever released anything or ever did a label. And you get that kind of spirit, like this is not something that we intended to do, mm. but I just loved it so much that I just wanted to share it. And but but, but let's not
3: review the, uh, the people <laughs> who run the record label. It's not, we're not talking but, about creation. Okay, it's not okay, but I, <laughs> let's, let's concentrate on the music.
2: But yes, I get it. It's okay. I like them more than I like the track. This oh, right. Year, I see. Oh, I, I wrote, see. It's
3: obfuscation. Right, okay.
2: Not, yeah. I, when I heard it, I couldn't think of anything to kind of think about it immediately. Uh, after, only after I would wrote a few lessons, I just wrote really, really, really droney. <laughs> 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 like, See,
4: Alexis and I both sing that as a good thing. <laughs> 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 My life
3: is really, really, really droney. Very reflective there,
4: oh, um, but oh. I
2: heard the whole thing, and there were some really good tracks. There was one called "Heaven How Long," mm. which I thought was really good. Uh, so, I, and I thought that there were you know some kind of nice elements of you know really good songwriting and fluidity. Throughout it all as a kind of a body of work. Mm. I didn't like it just because it did feel like that. It felt like a little bit of a time, a little bit archaic, a little bit drony, and a little bit like. Kind of wistful remembrance of an old world or something like that. And I didn't, yeah, wasn't I didn't find that so exciting.
4: I liked it. I thought it sounded like the Quietus I, weirdly. <laughs> if you were to, if you to, if you were to, it's got all the elements that they seem to. Mm. You know, it's funny that they actually found that band.
3: Yeah, that somebody could come along that would encompass their uh, mm. diverse and varied musical interests. Well, look, looking for someone by East India Youth is out, I believe, next month uh, on the Quietus's record label, which I think is called the Quietus Records or similar. Um, and that. My friend's a singles club. Right, look, in the heaving nightclub that is Music Weekly, it's kind of one in, one out, because Kieran's got to go, because Kieran's appearing on a political programme on (laughs) BBC3. This is true. I'm not making this up. No, 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 no. I think it's a good thing. You're on there with the leader of Plaid Cymru. Yeah. I'm only jealous because no-one asks me <laughs> to do this stuff. No-one would have me within...
2: People only ask me because they're like, you're mates with Lexus, aren't you? Come they on. Don't, they don't say Tell that. Tell us what They're not
3: going to ask you that at all. <laughs> they don't, you know, The BBC thread, no, gosh, no. Um, well, look, um, go on there and yeah. represent. Thank you. We'll see you in a bit. OK. Um, and taking over the hot seat, we have friend of the pod, the wonderful Jeremy Della.
0: Baby, baby, baby! baby.
3: One of the things that the uh, curator of the glam uh, exhibition Tate Liverpool said to me was that he felt it was a slightly overlooked and overshadowed era. And he felt that punk got loads more attention and that glam was sort of vastly more important. Do you think that's true, Jeremy?
0: Well, I think, I think if you hadn't have had glam rock as we know it, you probably wouldn't have had punk as we know it. Because mm. if you look at early punk rock fans, they're basically scruffy versions of what they were like two years previously when they were mm. Bowie or Roxy fans. Mm-hmm. They're putting on the makeup in the same way and they're dressing up a lot. Mm-hmm. And you see, and you can hear, actually, you can really hear punk rock in a lot of... I've got this recording of uh, Virginia Plain from 1974, a live version. It's almost punk. Really? Yeah, it's amazing. So I think there's a a lot... If you look at pictures of Bowie fans, about 73, 74, you can see that kind of Catwoman look and the Susie Sue look Mm -hmm. already starting. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, this is Bromley as well, so it's a similar area.
4: Mm -hmm. What's glam's appeal to you, Robin? Uh, Mainly, as as you know, from my glam-esque look. I was going (laughs) to say, yeah, a lot of strong influence. I mean, it's musically, I was one the... The rawness of lots of those records, anyways, like Jeremy said, I think they they're still recognisably pop in a lot of them, but they they're not. Those early Roxy records, I think you hear them, and they they do have a there's a real power to them. Which, Ooh. but they're also incredibly musical. They're not like you know they're not like the power of the. Pistols records, it's a different kind of thing. It has
3: they're quite heavily theorised records in one level, but they don't sound heavily theorised.
4: Yeah. and they've
0: become
3: heavily theorised as well. You think they're more, more, more so now?
0: Well, I think so. It's inevitable, isn't it? The longer mm. something's around, the more people are going to write about it and talk about it. I think
3: the thing that the, the, the exhibition was, was missing a little bit was was the was well lacking almost entirely was the, the kind of brickies and eyeliner aspect of glam. There's one photo of Slade in there and one photo of Mud, and that's it. Um, and I felt that was a terrible because that's the bit. I mean, I know, obviously, Roxy Music are a wonderful band and, and uh, Bowie, Remarkable artist and that kind of thing. That's actually the bit of glam I'm more interested in when it gets out of the hands of kind of theorists and into the hands of, you know, Brummies. That's pure <laughs> glam, really, yeah, isn't it? It's, yeah, That's absolutely. proper glam because it only
0: lasted for a couple of years or two or three years, and that was the real high point in a way. And the sweet probably mm. is the high point. Yeah. Especially for a child when I watched those performances as a child those are the things that captivated me really and, and Gary Glitter of course mm. who we can't mention but uh those seem to be the most perfect encapula- encapsulation of
4: glam rock
3: mm-hmm. yeah. I think if you think that there, glam-
4: andro- there was nothing androgynous about these people but they were forced
3: they? into being there was always one guy like is it Rod Davis the, the guy in mud who you, you had to have an androgynous guy in the band so Rod Davis is a huge bloke you used to have to sort of wear, you know, baubles and earrings and a dress on stage. And it's just completely inappropriate for this man. You know, this is not a sort of a beautiful, lithe, androgynous figure. This is like... But that's very English,
0: isn't it? That <laughs> sort of feeds into carry-on films and then through Music Hall and Shakespeare. and mm. That's a great tradition mm. to put the ugliest person or the prettiest <laughs> person, whatever you want to say,
3: in a dress mm. or in a, some sort of bizarre costume. And if glam is, is about... You know, there's a lot made of this kind of notion of reinvention within glam, and it's you know sort of Brian Ferry was a miner's son; he becomes this louche kind of figure. There is no greater reinvention, in a sense, that, than Dave Hill becoming this this kind of space age. I, I don't know. There's something just so miraculous about him as a pop star. That's proper reinvention because these are the people <laughs> who actually come
0: from they come from nothing in a way, and it's mm. very unpromising. Probably all the bands they were in before were mm. probably not very good, and then they reinvent themselves as these glam rock sex gods almost, whereas for Brian Ferry and Bowie, you know that they were intelligent enough to understand that it was part of something that was continue. Yeah, They were going to do other things, but this really was total inversion of natural order, basically, <laughs> in, a, in the best possible way. Yeah,
3: absolutely. No, I I, um, I, I... I just sort of, there's something about when you see a photo, particularly of Slade, something about Slade, and I can remember them at the time, I was really young, I was like four or five years old. There's something so... Utterly striking about them as people being dressed the way they are. I mean, maybe it does go back to that pantomime thing. But it's like... Well, it's for children as well, I mean, because yes. you were four,
0: and I was maybe a couple of years older. Those are the moments that you remember for the whole of your life. You never, never forget that. Yeah. And you, you've, it remains with you forever. Yeah. And so they are incredibly powerful visual statements. Mm. And the music is equally as powerful and as catchy and as simple mm-hmm. and, and as... Uh, Memorable. So those two things together just blow your mind, or, or blew my mind, mm-hmm. and uh, continue to.
3: Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's also if it, maybe if it seeps into your childhood. You know, do you remember sort of seeing things like? like yeah, like, I, can, I can. I can remember. I can remember seeing blockbuster.
4: It's interesting to think about, you know, how how those things seeped in, but without, you know, how much access you had to it, you know, without mm. all this modern bombardment that we have and yeah. tape doing retrospectives and this and that. These things are probably things you've caught once or twice, mm-hmm. but they're, they're there. you yeah. yeah. rationed pop music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Cheggers, well, Cheggers wasn't
0: even on that yeah. that So It was once a week. You had 30 minutes. You had this hit. <laughs> I know this is such a cliche, just talking about it almost, but that's... Mm maybe that's why it was so powerful exactly
4: i I, th- I think it is i'm you know jumping on to glam, glam the the glam influenced uh, morrissey you know i remember seeing morrissey for the first time on you know and that's and that that sticks to me it wasn't like a you know head on videotape or anything like that and those Ooh. things those they printed you know print a snapshot in your brain that's mm-hmm. there forever and the thing that probably can't be understated with it is the fact that, you know, the, co- the glam coincides with people getting colour TVs for the first time. You know, there's, we had a black and white TV for the first couple of years of my life and then I remember getting one of the, you know, that's, that's the point at which all these people are on top of the pops and that must be the same with, mm-hmm. you know, most households in Britain. You think that's, you know, you're seeing colour.
0: Yeah. It is ancient history, isn't it, really? Let's yeah. face it. Mm. But I, I think nowadays there's still these characters that if you were six or seven, if you saw Lady Gaga or people like that, mm-hmm. they would do the same thing that David Bowie did or even Dave Hill, dare I say it <laughs> so, uh
3: How dare you? These characters, Lady Gaga. These, these characters continue. You always get quite intriguing music when there's a sense that there is a change in the air. And nobody is quite sure what that entails. And obviously, if you're David Bowie or if you're Brian Ferry and you studied under, you know, sort of pop artists and this kind of thing, or you're David Bowie and you have an understanding of Kabuki and, you know, you've seen Andy Warhol's Pork and all this kind of thing, you kind of know what you're doing. And what I like is the bit where it feeds a bit further down the chain and people get this notion of, well, we better go glam but don't really know what that sort of entails. So you get this brilliant kind of DIY thing, which actually reflects in how the fans look, and, you know, there's, there's a certain sort of... Yeah, sort of Chinese whispers mm. of how it works. But there's
0: also there's a kind of interesting moment as well, and on the other extreme, is that I think Mick Jagger started to dress in a sort of glam way, yeah. wearing jumpsuits and shiny stuff, putting glitter all over him in sort of 72, because yeah. he, he realised he, that something was happening, and yeah. he couldn't quite... He had to kind of catch up, because mm-hmm. he hadn't. And that, So that's another interesting thing. Yeah. But yeah, the DIY aspect is fantastic. Yeah. And you see that on the top of the pops when they use this piano that's used for every performance for every band and they just put a bit of silver paper over the front of it. And that basically <laughs> just sums it up. That's
3: how it works. Well, we should play a bit of um, talking about the DIY aspect of it. If we're going to play a track, let's play a a flop glam track or a snippet of a flop glam track by Iron Virgin, The Incredible Rebel's Rule, which came out in 1974. Of of all the the DIY kind of glam bands, there is in some ways no greater DIY glam band than Iron Virgin, who made their own American football outfits out of cornflakes packets. (laughs) The thing I love about this record is that if you listen to Virginia Plane or you listen to Starman, these are sort of sui generis, they're kind of timeless records. They don't necessarily evoke anything of the 70s to me. This record reeks of Brute and Vesta Curry. Amazing. Yeah. So is this, a,
4: so this is a band that must have cottoned on to glam. Because like, that sounds yeah. like exactly the kind of band who could have become a metal
3: band or could have... Yes, I suppose so, yeah. yeah. I hadn't thought about that, actually. Yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing they latched on to. One of the... Uh, well, I suppose the element where this exhibition intersects with, with yourself, Jeremy, is that uh, it contains a photo of uh, the great Exotic Adrian Street, mm. who, again, if you're talking about reinvent, the reinvention that glam enabled people to take part in, Exotic Adrian Street is a, a miraculous example is, of the story. He is the archetype, really. He came from nothing.
0: He didn't go to art college. He didn't have that <laughs> sort of supportive middle-class background that some people did. Mm. He came from sort of brutal regime at home and uh, co- being in a coal mine as a teenager... Becoming a very good wrestler and also making a having a persona, a very camp, if not gay, possibly gay persona. In mm-hmm. the in the nineteen sixties, but went into the seventies and mm-hmm. became more grotesque and more outrageous in the seventies. But mm-hmm. Mark Bolan yeah. apparently quoted Agent Street as an influence because he used to wear wrestling boots and so did Bowie. And Boland said, oh, that's, that's from Adrian Street. So he know.
3: was glam before glam was glam? He was. He was a
0: pioneer in a way. He, he'd dye his hair, had long hair like Brian Connolly from The Sweet, but this was in the 60s, and he would have different coloured trunks, and he'd have capes, and he'd have wow. his own soundtracks he'd come onto and so on. So he was. He really marketed himself as, as a rock star, but pre-glam, really.
3: That's quite a bold thing to do, to market yourself as an ostensibly gay figure Yes, in an era prior to... Well, prior to Bowie doing Starman on top of the pop, after which everyone was at it.
0: Especially in sort of a, a rough and tumble of the wrestling scene. But he, he quickly realised, he didn't realise at the time, he thought he looked great, and then people called him all his names. Ooh. And he got this huge response from the crowd, and he got paid more because he was a baddie, a right. heel. And so he, he pushed the look, even though he wasn't particularly happy about this, mm-hmm. and pushed it, and he became very... It made him quite rich, because mm. people will pay to see a baddie getting beaten or beating someone. I can break a door down with one hand behind my back. I can crush a grizzly till its bones begin to crack. I eat a dozen t-bones for my early morning snack.
3: So imagine what I could do to you. Mm. Are you are you a fan of uh, of exotic
4: Yeah, I mean he's um well he's Welsh for a start. <laughs> I mean he if you hear his records as well, I mean they're they're sort of probably proto-glam. Well they post glam. Yeah, they're pro- know, pro- aren't they? pro- pro- proto-glam made in the made in the uh, post-glam era. <laughs> <laughs> they sound like this kind of somebody ba- basic grasp of the genre. Ooh. I mean they're fantastic. But he um yeah, it's, in Simon Garfield's book, The Wrestling, it's you know, he, he comes across everyone comes across brilliantly and He comes across incredibly brilliantly. He's just you know, he hates everyone. He's <laughs> But you know, you kind of back him on it. He's mm. just—he's—he's he's slagging everyone off, and he's—you—he's—you he, can tell he's come from a pretty grim upbringing, and you know, brought himself up by the glittery bootstraps, and um, he's still got it. Mm. 70-odd. And he's seventy odd,
0: and it's—he's seventy three, I think. He still wrestles. He's a wow. constant. He's a force of nature. He's a const- and he's constantly reinventing himself, and, mm-hmm. and so on. And he has. You can't take that away from him. No, I mean, You know, this is the kind of a dream, isn't it? Or, or the sort of cliché of leaving your small hometown and going to London and making it. And mm. he, had, he did that mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a
4: big way. Mm. So you, know, you see these kind of influences filter through, you know, kind of glam, you know, through Morrissey and then probably ends up, you know, the, the, end, the end point of it is probably Oasis, isn't it? Making this kind of... Sort of quite lump and kind of like ma- without either, exactly. I <laughs> exactly, but you know, covering Slade and mm-hmm. you know, making that kind of chug kind of glam yeah. sound, but not. And Adrian was, um, yeah, I mean, he, when he, he went to the States quite early on, didn't he, to wrestle? And... Well, he
0: went to the States at the age of 40
4: wow. to, to wrestle. That's like the second half of his life, so mm-hmm. life changing because it was taken off telly, and so
0: he had to reinvent himself again for an mm-hmm. American audience where all the wrestlers are about six foot four. Ooh. Adrian's about my height. It's about five foot six. Is he really little? He's tiny, but he's big, and he has a huge physical presence when you're around him. Mm. He There's a constant menace. Really? And physicality to him, which is it's difficult to describe. You're probably not getting any menace from me, I hope. <laughs> but with, if he was sitting here, you would know he was there, and you'd, you'd feel the, sort of, the, that presence. Mm. And so he had to reinvent himself and fight these giants, basically. Mm. And so he, he just went even more extreme with the, with the look. And, of course, in America... The homophobia in America is mm. a lot more extreme even then.
3: So. It's an, that's an interesting thing, in the, again, in the exhibition. Um, you really get the, the sense of a lack of American glam. They didn't really go for it at all. Why didn't that hurt? us?
0: Well, I know they didn't like Roxy music when mm. Roxy toured, which is surprising when you hear, again, if you hear Roxy live, they're a great rock band. Mm. And I, I actually don't know. I think I mean, in America, rock and roll is treated in a different way. It's seen as a sort of patriotic... Thing, it's a kind of nationalist music, mm. and maybe it was just a, too much, too threatening. Mm.
3: Or they a, sent it, Roxy Music out on tour with Jethro Tull. Yes, it's probably quite a disastrous well, I don't It know, was, it's quite a disastrous, no, you hear Ian Anderson which, gloating. Which, which Tull period. Well, at the height of that, I would imagine <laughs> yeah. this is like seven, it's like thick as a brick, you know, I mean, it's Aqualung. proper aqualong. At which, which, at which point, I mean, Jethro Tull was, were doing like you know, three million nights at Madison Square Garden. But if you think
4: but so even you know, look at someone like Bowie, you know, his. I suppose his American acceptance period is comes with uh, young Americans, and yeah. you know, it's it's a, it's a post glam thing anyway. You know, yeah. to take you know, to coals to Newcastle kind of thing. Yeah. He's he's it's, it's not. He doesn't. He isn't. Sort of, I don't think Ziggy's a particularly popular no. thing in the states,
3: which is you know, it's 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 an odd kind of state of
0: affairs. It's too it? English, maybe as well, yeah. and I'd say English rather than British, even. Yeah, maybe it's too culturally specific, mm-hmm. and the amateurishness of it is just it's, not. Yeah, they don't like tolerated. it. That's a very good point. And you yeah. see pictures of Bowie's tour. It's not as slick as you might think. And the costumes and sort of the makeup And it's, it's not quite... It's not the Supremes, is it? And so I think that's probably why they don't swallow it. You've got to believe in it to, to be part of it.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What do you think Glam's legacy is? Is there a sort of cultural legacy? Because it did seep through <laughs> into every strata of British life. It will well, Hopefully appear. it's not Oasis. Performing, yeah. come on, feel the noise. <laughs> yeah, forever. I think it's a
0: th- <laughs> I'll go, can i far. May I, I think it's a kind of an theatricality, mm-hmm. an intro- for me. I, I think it's. I've always been interested in how music looks, mm-hmm. and it's how music looks as well as sound. That's something I. I think that's maybe a legacy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and just really good pop as well. It's you know it's 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 rock music and it's but it's pop music at the same time. So there's there's that element to it.
3: It's an intriguing thing that it's a, an exhibition that's that's on now. Um, obviously, you know, it's been years in the planning, two years, something in the planning, and it arrives at a time when we're looking at the 70s, and particularly 70s pop culture, through a real kind of prism of darkness these days. And there's a bit of that about glam, I think, which is intriguing. There's something sort of hinting... Wow. The, the, I mean, obviously, Gary Glitter is the, you know is a big figure within it, but, I mean, there's something about a lot of it. It's quite difficult to talk about, but... There's
0: nothing sadder than a glam... like a glam rock band past its prime. no. Because it's meant to be the celebratory, super positive music, oh. and if you're performing in a like a pub to 50 people in 1976, and, and you were like on top of the pops so every mm-hmm. that can, there
3: can be nothing worse than that.
0: Yeah. It's and also they
3: didn't know what to do If you see those 1976 Top of the Pops Weird kind of disco records made by Mud Or yeah, yeah. Um, the Rubettes went country rock yeah. You know, it, it's a really yeah. odd kind of idea What the it's, fuck are we going to do? It
0: really, I remember watching those Top of the Pops And just feeling dep- totally depressed for those people mm. And sad for them Yeah d- d- Even
3: d- d- as a d- child I <laughs> couldn't get it You know, <laughs> <laughs> desperately wrong That's yeah. how they
4: sold records Sympathy vote from children mm. there's, there's
3: an amazing uh, 1978 Slade track but you see how low Slade have fallen and this is like three years after they've got their own film coming out called Give Us a Goal and it, it's, one, it's just one of the most excruciating things this sort of, you know, I mean, A, these incredible songwriters I mean, genuinely sort of Noddy Holder and, 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 and Jim Lee from Slade brilliant songwriters but yeah, this is, this is the sort of descent of glam and where it all ended up And this is subsequent to, you know, even before they've done this, poor old, uh, I'm sorry to keep going on about Dave Hill, has been forced to, A, dress up as a Red Indian on Top of the Pops when they were doing Gypsy Roadhog, and then shave his head, which
0: was... Yeah. That was a punk thing, though, wasn't it? And also, I, th- it? I think his hair wasn't quite all his for some of the time. Really? I think he was losing his hair. And, but I think he would, he's, he's like any port in a storm, isn't he, really? He'd put on any costume if he thought he was going to sell records. <laughs> which is fair enough. I mean, it's,
3: it goes back to that panto thing. Let's end on a positive note. We talked about the sort of legacy of, of, of glam rock to a degree. Um, what's the best, uh, aside from the Virginia Plain Track? What's your favourite glam rock?
0: Well, mm-hmm. I, it's probably Blockbuster or Come On Feel the Noise. That's pure, that's the kind of pure mainline stuff I, I would say. I remember and I bought those as a child. So. Mm-hmm.
4: I'd, I'd say Blockbuster. As well. It's just such a pure record. It doesn't. It's it, it works on a it works on that kind of visceral level that. Music that children should be able to appreciate, should, and that's the the best kind of glam has that. I think there's not back to the intelligent or mm-hmm. you know slightly thick thing, isn't it? It's just like you know, how does it does it grab you in the gut, or does it grab you? you know? well, oh, it you ain't Radiohead, it. <laughs> thank God. No, that's <laughs> yeah, another thing.
0: I shouldn't anyway. And I think another thing about those records is they're brilliantly they're brilliantly produced, and mm. they sound amazing still. So, what would you say your favourite record of that era?
3: I is I would pick. Um, what would I say? If I was going to pick a record, um, I'd go for another sort of obscure one. And I'd go for a record um, by a group called Screamer, uh, called Interplanetary Twist, which actually came out in 1976. And, you know, it's a difficult era for glam rock bands. Um, And Screamer uh, seemed to have got around this by simply ignoring the fact that it's 1976 and making a record uh, that that, that sounds like it's 1976, just basically pretending it's still 1973. And it's just a remarkable performance it's got everything this record it just three minutes it's got this ridiculous kind of queen-like uh vocal it's a song about a future dystopia uh, which is remarkably accurate the the lyrics go the people of the 21st century ain't never seen a rock and roller no bay city rollers just solar power i present to you 2013 no bay city rollers just solar power you know so that's it we're all glammed out big thank you to Robin joining us thank you Robin uh, and to Jeremy Deller for more details and links from the show head to guardian.co.uk forward slash music Kieran and I will be back uh, here and back in the 21st century next week thanks a lot bye bye